Welcome to Millionaire's Academy with Sydney O'Sullivan. My guest today is Jack Canfield, legendary American author, motivational speaker, corporate trainer, and entrepreneur. He is the co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul book series, which has more than 250 titles and 500 million copies in print in over 40 languages. He is my mentor, America's number one success coach, chairman of the Canfield Training Group, and the author of numerous New York Times best-selling books, including the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, and most recently, The Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. And today, Jack is interviewing me. Sydney O'Sullivan started her first business at 27, and she was a millionaire by the age of 38. And since then, she's been passionately helping others to achieve success by sharing insider secrets through her Millionaire's Academy system to improve profitability and establish authority with books and media. She is an eight times best-selling author, a speaker, and a business strategist. So hello and welcome to Talking About Success. I'm so glad to have you here. Oh, Jack, it's such a pleasure to be here at your beautiful home. Thank you so much for Thank having you. me Thank you. My pleasure. Guest. I really like having you here because we've known each other for a while now. We've been working together in a lot of different ways. I love your story. You have a great story to tell. So tell us a little bit about just who you are and how you came to be doing what you're doing. And it's a fascinating story I want our viewers to hear. Oh, thank you, Jack. Well, it's a big story, so I'm going to condense it down for you. I was born in California, because everybody always wants to know what's my accent. I was born in Venice, California. My parents moved me over to Hong Kong when I was four years old. And I grew up in this amazing, vibrant British colony of Hong Kong with an international community. And my parents had a business in the media. They actually used to uh, dub Chinese movies into English. So they put me working in the business at about three years old. I was, I don't know, maybe, okay, maybe I was a little bit older, maybe seven or something. But I started doing film dubbing at the age of seven. And then I went on to work in things like production studios that were friends of my parents. And then we moved back to the States when I was about 18 and I had to start over. None of the contacts, none of the, the media connections. I had to work as a waitress and uh, it was very crushing, but life is full of ups and downs, right? <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I, I lived in the States for a while. I worked a lot of different jobs and I had a dream of having my own business. And I ended up moving to Australia when I was in my uh, mid-twenties because, to be honest, I hadn't been having any luck meeting a guy. And I'd seen an Australian rules football game on TV and I thought, oh, that's where the men are. <laughs> <laughs> and I moved over to Australia for a working holiday and met a great guy. And we started a business together. He was the first guy to really believe in me and say, let's, let's, I believe in you, let's start a business. And uh, we were, we, we parlayed, we built that business up, sold it, bought another one, started doing the same thing with houses. And then eventually uh, we ended up floating a business on, on the stock market about 10 years later for, uh, well, it, it ended up having a market capitalization of over a billion dollars. That was pretty wow. exciting. Yeah. It is exciting. Pretty awesome, really. really <laughs> What's really, possible really. When, you, uh, when you give things a try. Now, I know you've written a lot of books. I know you work with a lot of authors and, and, and you, you teach that people can play and should play a bigger game in life. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think I was just really lucky that I was able to, to have the bravery to, to live into my dreams. And I love being a sort of a, a, a mentor to other people now to help them dream bigger and have big goals. 
And uh, usually what happens is I've just kind of become known. Since I wrote my first book, people started asking me, how did you get the book written? How did you get so many amazing interviews? And so I've been helping other people write their books for almost 10 years now. And what we start with is what is the big game for you? What's the big vision you have? Where do you want to end up? Like, you know, like you and I, Jack, we're sort of in the, we've, we've had some amazing experiences. And uh, they don't happen by accident, usually. You have to sort of have a plan, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we sit down. I know you're a big believer in this. So we, we plan out what's the biggest, biggest game that we're looking for. And then we think about how can we make the book support that goal. Um, I know with you, Jack, for instance, you've done this with success principles, for instance, right? Um, you read the book and you've turned it into a huge training program with thousands of coaches. Right. No, it's true. I always say the book is just one aspect of being what I often call an informational utility. You want to transform lives and you've, once you have a book, one of my friends says you make more money talking about your book and explaining your book and doing things off the book than you ever make from the book itself for most people. And so we have a coaching program, we have trainings we do, we have online courses we do, and we're training trainers to do this work on I think now 117 countries. So yeah, the book's one piece of a much larger strategy to transform the world, to inspire people to live their highest vision in a context of love and joy. And you even had those kind of amazing goals when you did your Chicken Soup for the Soul book series, right? right. I remember you shared with me, I'm being mentored by you now, thank you very much. Um, you shared recently that you set a goal that you wanted to impact, how many lives was it? It was a billion or? A billion lives. A billion lives. Yeah, I think we've done that. Just, you know, literally, we sold 315 million books in China. And I know most books are read by more than one person there. Uh, lots of, uh, probably 100 million books in India. I've been to India, I see the books get passed around a lot. Been on television shows, many of them seen by 40 million people at a time. The, the movie The Secret was seen all over the world by tens of millions of people. So yeah, and, and the thing too, and you know this, I know you talk about it, is that we want to impact a lot of people. And we don't have to know how we're going to do it. We just have to set the goal. Because a lot of people laughed at us. A million, a billion people. I was going to ask you, you did crazy? people say, are you crazy, right? Yeah, our, I get that all the time. Our publisher said we were crazy. Yeah. He said, how many books do you think we'll sell? He said, 20,000 copies. I said, that's not our vision. He said, what's your vision? I said, 150,000 by Christmas, 1.5 million by next year. And he said, that's crazy. And he laughed out loud. And he said, you guys are nuts. I said, no, we're entrepreneurs, we're visionaries, and we make things happen. And we sold 135,000 by Christmas, 1.3 million. Now we missed it by a little bit. He stopped laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if any other people know this, but I work with a lot of authors, and those are extraordinary numbers, extraordinary. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. But it's possible. It takes a lot of work. I don't think, I think most people don't realize that, that there's a lot of behind the scenes work you have to do. And I know you teach people how to do that. Well, you know, I mean, I'm always open to learning from you because I, you know, people like approach me all the time and they're like, I want to be a bestseller. And I say, well, it's going to take either, you know, sweat equity, you're going to have to, I have to put some elbow grease in, or you're going to have to do a lot of marketing. So, you know, and I think you did both, didn't you? Yes. Yes. Sweat equity is a big, is a big issue. It's, you have to, I have a quote, I can't remember it exactly, but it was by Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said something like, while most people were sleeping through the night, I was engaged in endless flight working through the night, you know, yeah. to, to achieve what he achieved. And I think that, you know, we didn't hit a bestseller list for 14 months after the book came out. Mm. But it was this rule of five, do five things every day to make it happen. 
And we just did that. And then eventually hit number 15 on the New York, on the Washington Post, moved up, New York Times, moved up and number one for three years. But we asked a lot of people, like you asked a lot of people. I mean, your first book, you, t talk about your first book about the, the millionaires. You wanted to be millionaires. Yes, uh, I actually, to be honest, I was, um, I was wanting to write a book. Somebody told me I should write a book. I had a great story and uh, I wanted to write a book and I couldn't figure out how. And then I got hit by the global economic recession in 2007. It got me and I lost a lot of money on my real estate. And I thought, I get the opportunity to start over. Um, so I don't really want to do it the hard way on jackhammers and stuff like I did the last 20 years. I want to be one of those people that gets on stages and does webinars and changes lives, you know. Uh, and so, but I realized that I wasn't going to have the time or patience to do everyone's training program. So I came up with this idea to write a book. And I asked about, I actually asked about 50 really people I admired who were building huge communities and making a lot of money doing it. And if I could interview them for a book I was writing. And I got about 30 saying yes, eventually. It took a lot of asking. There was one guy in particular who was the one that I really, really wanted, um, Armin Morin, if anyone knows him. And it, I had to ask like 30 times 30 different ways. Wow. You know, that's what it takes, yeah, right? Yeah, it does, yeah. <laughs> and eventually he was the last interview and the best. And it was, like, um, you know, it was uh, really made the book and gave me the kind of the, the, some of the material that I really wanted. And he became a mentor and a friend to me over the years. And that's one thing I don't think a lot of people realize is, Winners um, really appreciate other winners, don't you think? Like, they, they appreciate champion behavior. So a lot of the people that I interviewed became friends. Later on, we became partners. Uh, when people seeing you achieve the goals that you set out to achieve, they include you. Do you find that? I do. I do. I think, well, winners like to hang out, you know. Eagles all fly together at the highest level, you know. And I think, too, that you were demonstrating to them the very principles that they had to demonstrate in their life to be successful. A friend of mine interviewed 21 billionaires, I think it was, and it took him years to get all those interviews, just like you were saying, lots of requests, lots of requests, yeah. and eventually got one billionaire to introduce him to another billionaire because they were all friends. And, um, and now he has this billionaire support group where a lot of them have become his friends. They, they meet regularly online and together in, in, in person. And so you literally get to know them at a level and they end, up, they end up loving and admiring and respecting you. Yeah, and that's what I found was that you end up becoming, you know, you're in, you, you, what, well, the process of writing a book with people, for instance, you get to know each other. Like I was interviewing them and then turning it into, into transcripts and then turning it into the book content. And then I had to get them to approve it. I wanted to make sure it was in their words. And I've learned a lot since then. I was being very pedantic and perfectionist at the right. time. And now I realize that uh, it's more about getting the meat out to people in a way that, what's, what, that's what I love about your Success Principles book is that you've broken it down into step by step, which is brilliant. You know, it's, it takes you through a process of learning. Yeah. When you were, were interviewing all these millionaires, and you were looking at, like, I don't want to take the long route, I want to take the short route to success. Did you find that there were kind of, I would say, universal principles or common principles that they were pretty much all living that got them to where they were? Well, very much so. That was actually kind of what I was seeking because I realized 
I got the idea originally from reading Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill's sure. Think and Grow Rich. I remember sleeping on it and waking up in the morning and going, oh, I want to write a whole book series. I want to write a series on this stuff, right? And uh, so I, um, I I ended up thinking, well, how can I, wh on what topic? That's one of the hardest things for us is what are we going to be right, are the expert in? And, and I wanted to be an expert on making millions. That was something I was really interested in. So I went out to those type of people. And uh, the question, I forgot the question. What was the question? The question, that's fine. <laughs> I do that all the time. No, the question is, when you were interviewing all these people, did you find that there was a oh, certain yes. set of common principles common that they principles. were living by? Strategies, yes. disciplines. And so I wanted my book to last the test of time, like Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow mm -hmm. Rich. And so I actually didn't focus on, as it happened, a lot of them were doing social marketing because social media was just starting to become a big thing then. Sure. We're talking 10 years ago. Um, they were starting to talk about the things like Facebook and LinkedIn, using them as tools. But I realized that those are moving so fast that if I wrote about those things that would be obsolete in no time. So right. I really asked them to focus on, if you were starting over and knowing what you know now, what would you do to make a million dollars faster than maybe you did in the past? And to be honest, most of them answered me with, well, there is no real fast track. It takes years to get the experience. And that was the, the honest answer a lot of them gave me was mm -hmm. there's no fast track. But the ones that really, really knew their stuff, they were like, well, this is what I would do. And, and funnily enough, that's what I've been telling people the last few months. I've been saying, look, if I was doing it over, I would just do what I'm now going back to doing, which is interviewing experts to get a combination of great, timeless strategies that are... That where if you keep seeing a, a pattern, then you know it's a proven success formula, right? Right. Well, that's how the success principles came to be. You know, it's interesting. I read a report recently. It was an article. A man interviewed 27 CEOs of companies right when the pandemic started. And he said that I, he divided them into two different kinds of people. The ones who froze and didn't do anything. And the ones who were became really successful very quickly. And the main thing that the successful people did, is they started calling everyone they knew and saying, what are you doing? What do you think we should do? What are your thoughts? What are you doing? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And they got a lot of advice and a lot of insight. And, and, and I think the successful people are the ones who do that. You know, they're not afraid to ask what other people are doing or to ask the people that have already done it. You know, I always say success leaves clues. If someone's become a millionaire, they, they can tell you how they did that. And it may not be exactly imitatable, but most of it is. And so, and as things change, we find out who are the people that have pivoted the most quickly and are doing well, and it's worth following what they do. I totally agree, and that's exactly what I did. When the pandemic hit, I was in the States, they shut the city down around my, my last event. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, I can't do live events anymore, I'm gonna have to pivot, to use the, the word that everybody's talking about. Right. And, uh, and that means being res resilient, it means bouncing back, right? So, um, but I thought, uh, I actually decided to take a little break, which uh, which was helped by having to go into two weeks of quarantine. I took a little break, and I had a look at what everybody else was doing. And I saw that some of my friends had moved online very, very quickly, and they were making more money. They were actually, they, their costs had gone down dramatically because they weren't having to run big live events anymore right. with all of the associated expenses. Now they were able to move, go global like you have. You know, they were able to take their businesses totally global and, and service the whole world. One of my friends was doing a million dollars a month just in Melbourne with her coaching business, and she's now been able to go worldwide. So for them, it's just 
exploded their business. And I have lots of stories like that. So I think for us, it's about being, I agree with you, it's about being willing to take advice, willing to look around and see who's, who's actually making it work. Right. And then model. Absolutely. No, it's true for us. We had to pivot. Literally, I was running a workshop here in Santa Barbara, where we are recording this, and uh, it was for best-selling authors. And we had about, I don't know, 20 people in a room in the nearby hotel. And the police came in and said, this meeting's over. Literally stopped us in the middle of the because the, the governor just said any meeting over 10 people is illegal. And so we pivoted to someone's home here and finished the workshop and then immediately had to do everything online. And it was a challenge. But I called everyone I knew. What do you know? How do you put music on, on Zoom? Can you break people into small groups? You know what? It's like, and we learned how to do it. But it's exactly true. It's exactly and you're so true. lucky because you have a great team and they have adjusted so quickly, haven't they? Yes, they yes. have. Yes. We, we do have a great team. And they're, they're young and they're, they're vibrant and they're ready to play. They're not locked in the old ways of thinking. Now, I know you feel really strongly about goals and vision and the importance of that in people's lives. Talk about why you think that's so important. I think uh, for me, I really see the value of it because I grew up in an environment with parents that were uh, very much, you should be seen and not heard. What's wrong with you? You're always seeing the world through rose-colored glasses. I don't know, I think it was just my personality. I'm a natural optimist. And I was living in Hong Kong, which was full of entrepreneurs and seeing people leave the government and go on and become successful. And I believe that was possible, even though my parents were very much... You need to get a job, get married, settle down. And uh, eventually I, I bucked the system and I moved to the other side of the world to get away from the, the family influences that were holding me back, really, and, uh, and then flourished from there. But what I've realized is that you, without a plan, you don't know where you're going. So it's just, uh, you have to kind of overcome your, all the, the, what's the word I'm looking for, conditioning, you know, that we're given in school and sure. in, in a job environment where people tell us to be realistic and, you know, um, and, and it's so strange because when we're children, we encourage our kids to dream big, you know, what do you want to be, a ballerina, a fire truck driver, a doctor, a brain surgeon, but then you get into school and all of a sudden everybody's telling you to, you know, uh, curb your enthusiasm, you know, they're like, you know, right. be real. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and then we, st we stop remembering how to dream and how to have big goals. And, and this is where I find that I have to work with a lot of my clients is, yes, you can have that, you know, and let them believe it. Do you, do you find that too? Oh, I do. Everyone's, well, we're all programmed. We're conditioned mm -hmm. by our culture, by our family, by our religion, by the people we grew up with, by the television shows and the magazines we read and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And every, I've spoken in over 50 countries and every country has its own culture. Like in the, in the Arab world, for instance, it's inshallah, God willing. Well, why would I set a goal? You know, God willing, it'll happen. If God doesn't will, it won't happen. I said, well, I think God wants you to set the goal. You know, if you feel the thing, then God's willing you to feel that desire inside yourself. You know, so, look, so go for it. And every time I've ever gone over there, uh, people have like started to set goals, start to become more um, intentional about their lives and have achieved greater success. I saw a lot of countries over there where the Indians would come over to be the employees, like in Saudi and places like Oman and, and you know Dubai and so forth. And pretty soon they were owning all the businesses. And in Oman, they actually had a program called the Re-Omanization of Oman, which meant if you were an Indian and you had a business, you had to have an Omani partner because the, the Omanis had to learn how to be entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. And they realized that. And they're seeing that in, in Qatar now. You know, they're going to run out of oil at some point.
And so this, they call it peak oil, and they realize, hey, we better figure out how to make money other than just have oil. So we've got to reinstill this entrepreneurial spirit. So that's starting to happen. And I see that in every different culture, there's different paradigms, belief systems, and so forth. That, and many of them are empowering, and some are disempowering. You know, and I grew up that, in a family where if someone had money, they must have been corrupt. You know, there's only the people that were, they must be a drug dealer, you know, whatever it is, if they got that kind of money. So for, it took a long time for me to get to a place where money wasn't evil. You know, I had to have a mentor teach me that money was good. You know, the money isn't the root of all evil. Money's the root of all philanthropy. Money's the root of all good things you can do. And freedom. Yeah. And freedom. Freedom. You know, yeah. To travel, to learn, to have good medical care, take care of your children, etc. But with freedom comes choice. This is the thing that I found was once my husband and I became multimillionaires, we worked so hard with our, you know, poverty consciousness that we'd grown up with. We achieved our goals. We built this, you know, really successful business. And then suddenly we had, we could do anything we wanted. We had the money to do anything we wanted. We had the, the freedom and no training, no training for that kind of lifestyle, you know? So right. this is the other thing is that even, it's a, it's a never ending process of learning how to, uh, how to live into your goals. And then when you achieve them, what comes next, right? Well, I had to learn to be wealthy. Yeah. You know, it was like, now what? You know, the first time I bought three sweaters in three different, the same sweater in three colors, there was a part of me that felt guilty. You know, like that could be food on some kid's table in Africa, you know. And I had to learn that, okay, I'm going to give a percentage of my money to philanthropy. I'm going to be able to do this. And I, I went through what I called my nouveau riche stage. I bought a lot of stuff. And then I realized I really am a steward of this money. Start stewarding it for the highest good of the planet. And that would make a huge difference in life. Now, you also talk about the importance of simplifying things. Talk about that. Well, I, I really think that today, more than ever, we have to be able to simplify, otherwise we will just become completely overwhelmed. There are so many different things going on when we're starting a business or, or even in, in a job today, you know, if you're trying to progress in your career. You have to think about your personal brand. You have to think about, you know, even if, like, let's just talk about authors who I work with a lot. And I work with a lot of authors who are speakers. When people come to me and they say, can you market me? I have to look at what happens when somebody Googles them, right? You know, what comes up for them? Do they have a strong LinkedIn? Do they have a strong uh, a message? You know, they have a clear message that separates them from everyone else. So these are things on the very simplest level. If you want to have a personal brand, even in a career these days, you need to think, you know, really be clear about what you stand for. And then you can start um, turning that into the books or the LinkedIn profiles or the online marketing or the Facebook profile or all these things that you need today that will help you stay in line with your brand and message. Because if you're trying to be all things to all people, you're just going to become completely overwhelmed. And that's where I find a lot of people get hung up is, is trying to manage everything and not knowing where to start. What do you find with the simplification? Well, I, I think, know you're a big fan of it. Well, I think brand consistency is really important. You know, when I first started out, I was a self-esteem expert. And then it, mainly in the world of education. And then it became the world of business, self-esteem and peak performance. Because without self-esteem, you don't take risks. Without risk, you can't achieve more. And so we pivoted over into the corporate and the public seminar world. And then it became more, self-esteem is basically based on feeling lovable, capable, and significant. So the capable part was the success principles. I can achieve anything I want. And so that's kind of the, where we focus now. But in that brand, there's still the concept of Jack's a loving guy. He's not, you know, he creates a safe space. Uh, he's going to push you, but it's going to be confrontational, but in a loving way so that you can grow. 
And so there's a certain quality of energy that chicken soup for the soul was a certain kind of loving, fun, caring, spiritual brand. And that worked. I didn't know if it would work in the corporate world, but actually it did because people would read the books at home and go, I like this guy. And so then when we came out with the success principles, it, it wasn't off brand, but we had to recreate a new, a new corporate image, if you will. So, and, and if you're trying to do everything, I mean, I don't post things on Facebook about what I ate for breakfast. I don't post pictures of me in my bathing suit by the pool. Because thank this, you for that. If this, yeah. thank the, you. The, the breakfast thing. Yeah. <laughs> See, the bathing suit's fine. Yeah. The bathing suit's fine. <laughs> Not if you're the CEO of GE and you're thinking about hiring me to come in and talk to your, your managers. So you have to be aware of what you're putting out there for sure. I agree. And, and it wasn't always like, it was not like, you know, you talk about how your publisher laughed at you, but didn't you have like 144 publishers reject you when you first came out with the concept? Yes. So everyone said this, the title's stupid. People don't buy collections of short stories and it's all too positive, nicey, nice, woo woo, you know, um, rose colored glasses, like you were saying earlier. And these were cynical Ivy League people who work in the publishing industry in New York. And yet we knew every talk we ever gave anywhere, people loved it. So we were talking, I think, to more of the middle of, the, of America instead of the, the more sophisticated East Coast, West Coast publishing world. Turned out to be, we were right, mm -hmm. but they didn't get that. And um, yeah, 144 rejections over the course of about 18 months. Wow, and you didn't take no, you just kept going. And uh, I actually recommend to most of my clients that they self-publish, even though we have relationships with big traditional publishers. I just find that when you self-publish today with all the great technologies available, you have so much control. And when you're really good at internet marketing, like my team are, you can do phenomenal things. Like, you know, sure. uh, the things that some of the big internet marketers are doing with their books now. They're getting hundreds of thousands of books sold and getting the contact details of the people and then yeah. turning that into money, you know, and turning it into business. Well, it's true. With chickens over the soul, we did not know who was buying our books. They're buying them in a bookstore. Right. Now, if we sell a book online, the person bought it through us, or if we put them through, we give them some benefit to come buy it through us and go send them to Amazon, at least we captured their name. Yeah, you get to nurture them. Yeah, right. and if we sell it ourselves, we get all the profit. You know, it's not not uh, the publisher. As I said, the publisher has a private jet. I don't have one. <laughs> so I, I could, but I don't want to spend the money on it. He's worth for every dollar I made, he made about five. So it's like, you know, that's five dollars I could have had, Mark and I could have had. But he took the risk. That's the thing. Publishers yeah, I don't blame a lot him. of the time take yeah, the I risk. I didn't want to be a publisher. But nowadays, most publishers, I mean, where are they going to yeah. sell the books? There's no book. There's bookstores are shutting down everywhere. Right. So the whole world has changed, you yeah, know, and totally we get different. to change with it. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. I could talk to you forever. Um, given that we're running out of time, if, if you had one main message or a couple last points you want to make to everybody, what would they be? Well, I think for me, the really big thing is, is set big goals, you know, believe in yourself, believe that you can have something really outrageous. Um, I've learned that from you in a, on a big scale. The goals you set are way bigger than anything I was ever setting, but you achieve them. So set big goals and then lean into them, you know, start putting things in place so that you can actually have your dreams come true. Start aligning yourself with the people that can make it happen. And when obstacles come up, that's just part of growth. I, I like to s remind people that it takes an enormous amount of pressure to turn coal into diamonds. And so when you feel like everything is pushing against you, it might just be that you're about to have a breakthrough. When that happens with me and I know I'm on track, I stop and I think, what's the opportunity I'm not seeing yet? 
And who do I need to talk to to help me through this? Because there's always somebody who's had experience. And if you've got the right circles, you know, you can reach out to people. And I find there's a lot of people that are very happy to help you with mentoring, don't you? Absolutely. If you ask the right questions and you come with an uh, intention of being of service and... Um, usually I'll just reach out and say, look, I'm stuck. I don't know what I'm not, know- what I don't know here. And they'll help me have a breakthrough. So that's that, that's, that, that's really my big advice is life is a roller coaster. There's going to be ups and downs. It's not a straight path to success. Don't give up on the downs, right? Because that makes you appreciate the ups all the more. Well, I think true. You said something that I, I want to underline you said sometimes the, the hardest thing is right before the breakthrough. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about this with roller coasters. I've been on a lot of them. The, the slowest part of the roller coaster is right at the top before it goes over the hump. And so, if you, you know, in the, that last little bit, if you just stick through it, then you get the good. Then you get the wee. Yeah, and, exactly. and you like me, you go on roller coaster just to make yourself like, you know, face face fear. That's what I do. I go with my kids on the scariest rides. Well, I love the adrenaline rush of it all. <laughs> You just love it, yeah. Yeah. So if this is great. So if people want to work with you, and I'm sure a lot of them do after hearing this, where do they go? How do they connect with you? So you can find all my websites on sydneyosullivan.com. I know I have a weird name, so it's Sydney with a C, C Y D N E Y O'Sullivan.com. Or Millionaires Academy. You can come to millionairesacademy.com and you'll find our trainings on there. We have free trainings and we go right up to completely customized elite services where we'll help people write their book uh, right through to getting them on the media and um, and the thing about getting a book written is you should definitely be getting out in the media. Do everything you can. One of my clients had a most amazing success story a few months ago. She had a real estate agency. She uh, she basically wrote her book really quickly. She had a bit of a different twist on real estate management. She sent her book to the local media. She got a cover of a local magazine. She got on the TV. And literally, it put about $200,000 in extra income into her business over the next week. And then she sold her agency for over seven figures a couple of months later, right before COVID. She's loving me right now because she's out of the business. And she gets to consult now to real estate agencies all over the world and real estate investors. So the power of books and media together is phenomenal. Don't just write a book and then expect it to sell itself, right? That's true. That's yeah. true. It's like you can't have a child and not raise it. <laughs> you have to do the work to, to get it out there to the public. Cause it's, you know, and you've worked so hard on a book. You've got to be willing to make sure that everyone knows about it and is willing to read it. Otherwise, it just it's not, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't have the impact that you want to have but on the world. It doesn't have the impact on you. I agree. And you are the, the living example of somebody who really worked it and, and well, achieved amazing things. And you are too. Thank you. It's great. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Sydney. I thank really appreciate it. Thank you for having it. me and My pleasure. Uh, at your beautiful home and making the time and it's just and for mentoring me and over all these years and it's just been such a pleasure to know you and thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Well, if you're someone who's got an idea you want to get out to the world, if you've written a book but it hasn't gotten to where you want it to go yet and you want to take a, build a whole business around it, clarify your brand, get all the media to work in today's world, which is a continually changing, evolving game of social media and so forth, uh, Sydney can help you do that. So you know how to reach her. You've got her website now and take advantage of that.